Welcome to the Sin of Our Fathers podcast. I'm your host, Matthew Kuhn, joined by my brother this week, Michael. Hey, hey. And we are down a brother, Mark. He's feeling a little under the weather this week, uh, but he will join us hopefully again soon at some point. I'm not going to kick him while he's done. I was thinking about making oh. fun of some of the ailments that he's um, he, suffering through, but uh, I'll withhold those he has, jabs for the time being. He seemingly has a litany of, of, of small ailments that are unconnected with each other, just unfortunate timing all at once. Uh, we're all prone to gout, and that's one of them. So, uh, Mark, stop drinking and eating red meat, and you'll be fine. So, But the show must go on, especially as we come closer to the kickoff of the NFL season. Uh, I think we're a month away from the, the first game. Yep. Um, so that'll be a fun time. And so we've got a great podcast for you today. We're going to be joined later by Brad Spielberger, the cap expert from Pro Football Focus. He's also a contributor at Over the Cap uh, to kind of talk all things salary cap. We, we have a couple questions that have always kind of been eating at us, uh, just kind of the intricacies of how the cap works from a inside the front office standpoint uh, that we get to ask him. Uh, we'll talk a lot of Brown stuff about all the extensions coming up, um, what we should look for in some of those contracts and how, how the Browns have been doing thus far cap-wise. So that's a great conversation that we'll have for you here in a second. But it's been a while since we've talked to Grandpa. So we figured we have to give Grandpa a call uh, and more specifically get an update on the shutters and the bat situation down there in the villages. So we called Grandpa and here's what he had to say. Hello. Hey, Grandpa, it's Matthew. How are you? Hello, Matthew. What are you doing? What's happening? Well... I'm just resting. <laughs> You're resting? Yeah. Well, I guess it's about 8 o'clock your time, so that makes sense. <laughs> what, what's new? Oh, nothing much. Just hadn't talked to you in a while. Figured I'm, I'm here with Michael, so we figured we'd give you a call and uh, see what you were up to. I see. Well, I haven't been, uh, I've been keeping up with the Brownies uh, at all, so I'm a little bit lax in the area. I uh, just haven't been watching anything. I wanted to get a, I wanted to print out a, a full roster for them, but until they get a final cut, I just be wasting my time, you know. You're gonna be, you're about a month away from that happening. I know. So I like to, I like to print them out, and so I have, uh, so I have a full roster, but I don't want to be putting out a bunch of guys that won't be there next week. You know? <laughs> right. Well, do you think you'll watch the preseason games? Uh, they're all on national TV. So all three of them. Uh, which which one? The Browns? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, no. When was it? So they haven't had any yet. Their first game's on Saturday. It'll be seven o'clock your time. I think probably on NFL Network. I saw I saw the uh, the other the other the, uh, let's see what game was that? I saw the, the Hall of Fame day. game. Yeah, the Hall of Fame game. Yeah, they had some people there even. <laughs> Well, you know, there's uh, that was that was uh, that was all right. Nice to see, nice to see something. But you know what? I, the, the damn thing, I I recorded it, and I, and I think about the last two minutes it chopped, chopped it off. I think I had, I think I had uh, the whole thing recorded, and I didn't get the last part. <laughs> <laughs> well, it doesn't really matter. It's a preseason game. It's hard to watch almost past the second quarter, like in any of these preseason games, because you don't know any of the players. It's crazy. Yeah, that's right. I know. And you'll never see him again, probably. Yeah. You know. So, Grandpa, the thing that I've actually been thinking about for a while, we talked to you a while ago, and you were telling us about the bats you were fighting at your house with the shutters you were trying to make. Did you ever get that situation resolved? I think so because I I made some I made some some different I made some new shutters I made about three of them three because they were they they were rotted out but but I did I made uh, and I don't know how it worked out but I I made a bat house and I put it up in the gable end of the back of the house yeah it's about it's about uh, it's probably about two feet wide two feet wide and about two feet high with with small entrances to get in and out and and I got some wire mesh on the inside you can't see inside of there but i put wire mesh in there because so i grab that someplace they gotta hang there you know yep so i i'd have to get out at night and see if there's any 
anything happening because I don't know. But I figured if they like the behind the shutters, they must like this other thing, this other bat house. Well, you you should be able to tell if there starts uh, collecting bat poop underneath it, right? Well, it's well, it, it's up high, you know, and when when. When they when they pee, I guess it's almost it, it's it's like a white powder. So, <laughs> so you can that's one way you can tell if it's bats because when they piss out, it, it turns into white powder like. And uh, having so, prostate issues must be. I don't know. The what? Huh? They must be having prostate issues. You know. <laughs> Could be. Doesn't doesn't flow quite as easy as it used to. <laughs> But I'd have to get out there at night and, and see if I could shed a flashlight up there or something because I, I don't know if there's any activity up there or not. But if those son of a bitch had wanted to get behind my shutters, they should have loved this thing I made for them. You know, they're they're good to keep keep. They eat uh, their weight in, in mosquitoes and everything. Right. Uh, no, they're, they're great. Really, they're great to have around. Yeah, they're really good. And you, you and uh, the last time I had the exterminator, I say, oh well, we can't do anything about that. I said, what do you mean? Oh no, he says, you only do that. He says there's a mating season and you can't bother them with that. And then somewhere around about November, I mean, this was last year. Like he said, around November, maybe we can do something, but you still can't do anything about it. You can discourage them, but that's all you can do. You know, I said, well, hell, they, that's that, that's not much of a help. <laughs> So anyway, that's that. That's the story. I'll have to get out there with a flashlight and see if I can see anything. I figured that I'd, I'd see him, see him uh, drop all of the, the siding or something over there, and, and uh, you know. But I haven't, uh, I haven't got out there and taken a look, close look. Of I need a ladder to get up there close enough to look. And, uh, yeah, I don't think that's worth it. I'll, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. just, just guess and see if it works. Uh, I, I don't think you need to be getting up on a ladder to go. Check no, out, check out your, your mammalian so. friends. <laughs> I don't think so. I'm going to skip the latter part, but I'm going to try to light up there one of these nights and see if uh, see if I see anything over there. You know. Well, Garza, I, I'll say I'll say one thing: we don't have any mosquitoes around here. <laughs> of course, we never did. That is one it's, upside. Well, if you ever catch any of those bats, send them up my way. I've got a bunch of mosquitoes in my yard right now. I need no to find a way to encourage some bats to come live. I have never, I've never had any mosquito problems over here. Never. Living, uh, living in the middle of a swamp in Florida, you've never had mosquito <laughs> problems. That is kind of remarkable. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, they, I people around here have them. I mean, you know, these these guys they put these damn screens. On their garage doors, yeah, so they got sixteen foot garage door, but then they close the goddamn thing down, so it's only twelve feet wide. Now you got to slide slide screens back and forth if you want to get the cars in and out. You know? Right? How how stupid! <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. They're just bored, don't know what to do with their money. It's the same reason they paint their driveway. Yeah, yeah, they paint their driveway too. Jack <laughs> Jack just had it. He had his redone. He had to had to have it sandblasted off and everything. Cost him five grand. Oh my gracious! <laughs> just I just to like it. refinish the the concrete driveway. His short little driveway too. It's not even like a big driveway. Well, you got to sandblast the old stuff off if you know he had it done a long time ago. But, did he uh, Did he have it repainted? He should have just had it sandblasted yeah, it, off it, and just it, leave it. Yeah, they had it repainted, designed. It looks really nice. Well, if I have to. If I have to admit it, I've seen some ugly driveways, but his look pretty nice. Well, if I remember, but, uh, he's a Steelers fan, so his decision making yeah, might be might be suspect. Yeah, he's a Steelers fan, so I shouldn't even be talking to him. To circle <laughs> to circle back to the Browns, Grandpa, did you see that they re-signed Nick Chubb? They gave him an extension. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's uh, it's uh, you know it's tough being one of the highest paid <laughs> running backs. That you know he's got to live up to a lot there. I, I think they're I think they're going to be very good. I you know I uh, I, I think they're going to have a good year. How does I, that I feel? Really do. I you know what I I didn't know about this Odell. I didn't know. I thought that they could probably get along without him and trade him before he before they, well they could still get something for him because he's a he's he's kind of a me 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 guy you know and and they got some running backs and receivers over there. They, I mean he's not going to be he's not going to get fifty touches a game. You know, he's going to get pissed off real quick because he's not getting any touches, you know. That's what I feel. 
Have you have you re- you must not have read some of the stuff that he's said this off season. He he says that he doesn't care about that anymore. He said that when oh. he was when he was younger, he would he would worry about uh, making sure that he was getting enough touches. But now uh, he wants to win. I think he well, said I, that he's he said get a, get a couple catches a game and he's fine. I haven't read anything uh, that uh, along those lines there, but I just figured that he'd be kind of discontented with uh, the fact that he's not going to get a lot of touches. Well, we'll see. I mean, they could sure as hell use him, but not if he's going to be uh, want to be the, the center of attention and getting all, the, getting all the passes, you know, so we'll see. Yeah, winning tends to cure a lot of these things. So we, ha- <laughs> we have a good season. Everybody stays healthy and we're winning. I don't think you're going to hear a whole lot of noise from that locker room. <laughs> Oh yeah, it's gonna it's gonna be really really good. I'm, I'm looking forward to a, a great year, great year. Yeah, well, we're looking forward to seeing you at the game in Los Angeles. Um, <laughs> hey, I got I got a I got a 65 inch screen here that they showed me that game. <laughs> <laughs> well. Well, we might have to come down for for one game, or you come up here. You know, you know the Browns play on Christmas Day this year. I feel like that's a good opportunity to watch a Browns game together. Is that right, Christmas Day? Yeah, we wow. play we play the Green Bay Packers on Christmas Day uh, that night, I believe. I think their their first game is going to be it's going to be a, say a lot about the season. I think. Agreed. You were not you were not wrong there. Well, um, Grandpa. I'll, I'll send you an itinerary for what you need to do in California for the month uh, between you landing in San Diego and the Browns game. I figure you could just stay there so you don't have to fly twice. Um, so we'll we'll give you a whole whole itinerary of places to visit, uh, and we'll we'll see you there at SoFi Stadium in L.A. Uh, why do you you guys? What do you want with an old guy all the time? Oh, you're a, you're a, well. I'll keep my mouth shut. Uh, I was gonna say you're 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 good company. Let's just leave it there. <laughs> well, I like to be I like to be good company. Hell yeah, you know. But, uh, I I don't know. I, I'm gonna I you know your your father talked to me about this a while back. I told him no, you know. So uh, hey, I bet I bet we could get Mark to drive across country with you if 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 you want to drive to California. Matthew, why in the hell would I want to drive across the country? <laughs> I thought you were going to say, why the hell would you want to drive across the country with Mark? <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't matter. I wouldn't want to drive across the damn country. <laughs> Have you ever done that? Coast to coast? Uh, did No, but it did go from, from here to uh, from, from uh, uh, Tampa to Phoenix. Oh, that's pretty close. When, when your father was here. Uh, Smaller than you were. Was that was that to go visit Aunt Pat? Yeah, we went to see. That was we went. To, we were there for her, uh, her brother Jim and uh, and Pat. And there was a Christmas. It was Christmas time. We went there. Oh gracious! Drove, that sounds terrible. The way. That was a, How long that did was that take? Drive. Huh? How long did that take? Oh God! That was. You know what they say? They says the sun is risen, the sun is set, and you ain't through Texas yet. You know? <laughs> <laughs> and by God, that's true. <laughs> we were just, all day we were driving through Texas. <laughs> I believe it. I believe it. So, oh, All right, well, I'm looking forward to this, this season. We'll, we'll talk to you a lot more about the Browns. Um, feel free to give me a call anytime once, once you get up to speed. On, <laughs> on the happenings of this season. Okay, guys. All right, Grandpa. Okay. Good talk to you. Soon. Okay, you too, Mike. See ya. <laughs> okay. Uh, bye Glad to know that Grandpa uh, got the shutters finished, uh, got the bat house done. He's becoming quite the zoologist down there. And I, I have to say, Pete Smith, that was for you, now that you know uh, kind of the full story of Grandpa and the bats. Uh, Stop asking us about it. Yeah, hope, hope you're happy, Pete. Hope you're happy, Pete. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but seriously, we'll check in with Grandpa as uh, he gets back in the swing of things following the Browns 
He's he's at at this age. He's really more of a. He has a, more time, and he's becoming less and less in tune yeah, with all things happening with the Browns. Exactly. He's he's more of a regular season, postseason kind of guy. Doesn't have the time for training camp or the preseason. So I I kind of admire that position that he's in at the moment. So we'll check in with him uh, throughout the season. Hopefully every week, um, get his get his thoughts, and they're always entertaining. So look forward to that. Uh, but now, let's kick it to our guest. Let's kick it to our guest. All right, we're here with Brad Spielberger from PFF. Um, Brad, I don't know if you know this, but you got a lot in common with us. You spent some time in Nashville. We're sitting in Nashville right now. Um, I Brad also got a law degree from Tulane. And if you don't like New Orleans, I don't know who you are. Um, so gotta love Brad. He's now the cap specialist for PFF. And if you don't follow him on Twitter, definitely do so. He gives you every detail of every NFL contract that's coming out. So I can't think of a better person to talk to at this particular stage of the NFL season. And particularly as a Browns fan, as we have all of these big contracts that are up for extension right now. So um, super glad to have you. Thanks for joining us, Brad. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And, and 100%. This is a very interesting time for the Browns. Not often you're talking about you know three, four guys from the same draft class that you want to extend early. Uh, what, a, what a beautiful thing it is in Cleveland. Yeah, no kidding. So we're gonna be um, we're gonna start away from Brown's news. I'm just curious about what you do in like day to day, like some of the questions and things that you have going on. So just NFL wide, I'm just curious: Are there any particular contracts that have been signed recently that have really caught your eye and surprised you? Because you're projecting what each one of these things is probably going to be valued at. Like, is there anything that kind of rises to the top and like, oh? That was uh, that was unexpected. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts. Yeah, that's a great question. It, it is pretty rare. I'm not trying to say that to pat myself on the back or anything, but more so just because like the market is pretty well defined, and if you if you know what you're looking at and know what you know data to input to a potential valuation model and stuff like that, you should be able to arrive pretty close. There were a couple during free agency I thought that jumped out. Uh, one in particular, just off the top of my head, was Rayshon Jenkins as a safety. Uh, who signed with the Jacksonville Jaguars. And I guess I can tie this to the Browns in a positive way. So John Johnson, PFF loves. He's been great. You know, when, when he plays, his grades are off the charts in all facets of football. And the way he was used by Brandon Staley last year with the Rams, they, he deployed him all over, super valuable player. We thought he should sign a really nice contract in free agency. And Rayshon Jenkins is a fine, like, plug-and-play. Like, he's a starter, you know, but, but like, if, he, if you say he's the 50th best safety in football, you know, like, that's, like, fine. And Whereas John Johnson, we think, is, like, a top 10 guy. Yeah. And so, you know, John Johnson signs for about $11 million per year. Uh, and Rayshon Jenkins signed for about $9-plus million per year. So the fact those two deals were that close was, was kind of crazy. You know, I think John Johnson, we thought he was going to get, you know, maybe $13, 14000000 million and thought Rayshon Jenkins might get, like, $6 million a year. Um, so that, that also shows how, another way of showing how good of a value that John Johnson deal was for Cleveland. Yeah, I love it. What about, and this is going back even a little bit further, not throughout this like past offseason, but what about like that DeAndre Hopkins deal? Oh, sure, yeah. So, yeah, so last offseason, his extension. Yeah, so this has obviously been a big, you know, topic of conversation. Yes, he did sign a deal that was kind of way out there for a wide receiver, uh, you know, $27.25 million per year on the extension. But if you get into the weeds of it a little bit, that's kind of where it looks a little bit more in line with the rest of the market. When he was traded, you know, from Houston to Arizona, he had three years left on his deal. And so they did work that into the, you know, the extension itself and make it a full five-year deal. And some of that kind of changes how you view things. And also, when you get traded, you have a lot of leverage. That, that's the thing we talk about a lot. But when you're a good player and you get traded for high draft capital for him, a second-round pick, you can kind of hold the, you know, the, the team hostage a bit and still, you've already invested in me. You've already give up a really nice draft pick to get me. Like you kind of have to give me a, a nice contract because otherwise you're going to look silly. And so we've seen a lot of players use that leverage to get really big deals. Yeah. It feels like the Texans are on both sides of that all the time. <laughs> Think about the deal for Laramie Tunsil. Um, and just he had, they had to give him whatever he wanted. Um, what in the broader NFL sense, Excuse me. Are there any teams in a bad cap situation that nobody's talking about? We we always talk about the Saints. I mean, I say we like people who are talking about the NFL how how they're always cash strapped and kind of working the uh, cap gymnastics. 
what are some other teams out there that are maybe in a worse situation than um, people are thinking in the future yeah, years? You know, I think the Eagles is an, is an easy one to point to. They are trying to get out of it, and they've kind of flushed this season. And, and I, you know, I'm not going to use the tanking word. They did kind of tank at the end of last year. Uh, and, and I think this season they're, they're not tanking, but they're not going to be super competitive, and I think they're okay with that because their cap situation was really, really bad. Did a lot of the same things of pushing money down the line on older players, and it just caught up to them. A lot of those players you know, got hurt, like a Brandon Brooks, or just aged not, not particularly well, or whatever the case may be. Uh, so they're in a tough spot, but they are digging their way out of it. I think under-the-radar ones, even under-the-radar, but just not talked about a lot, is the Dallas Cowboys, but even more so is the Green Bay Packers. And I know that we were focused on Devontae Adams and Aaron Rodgers and all these things, but their cap situation is, is in a really, really bad spot. And I think that is the understanding that it shows why they, their front office was so reluctant to try to work with Rodgers or to want to extend Rodgers, even though they did offer him, you know, apparently a very respectable contract, but it's a tough spot. They, they, they are under the cap or excuse me, they're over the cap, you know, for next year already. Uh, you know, the Randall Cobb trade did not help and they might just, again, they might, they also might just kind of flush things next year and start over. Yeah. That's rough. That is rough. <clears throat> All right. So my next question is something I've been wondering for a really, really long time. And it's like a very, I think it's a very in the weeds, like nerdy question, but when you see these contracts come through as an outside evaluator, I'm like, well, if you've got a player that is like really injury ridden throughout his career, like a Jadavian Clowney for, for the Browns, for instance, it seems like from my side that you would want to put a lot of incentives into contracts like that, make sure playing time bonuses and things like that. But with teams that are like right up against the cap, I've always wondered how those incentive bonuses get accounted for cap-wise. Can you like speak to how all of that is handled? I mean, do you have to account for the maximum potential value as far as like the cap goes every year, or is there some like gray area and some fluff in there that the NFL allows for? Do you do you understand the question that I'm asking? A hundred percent, a hundred percent, and it's a great it's a great question. It's a fun one. We've actually seen uh, the Xavier Howard contract reworking, you know, featured some cool uh, incentives that, that, that'll, you know, get to the, the question. And essentially what teams are able to do is you can put incentives into a bucket called likely to be earned and not likely to be earned. And if it falls into a bucket that is likely to be earned, then it counts on the cap during the season. If it's in the not likely to be earned category, then it's actually not on your salary cap at all. And then if the player earns it, you have to pay them at the end of the year and you have to account for that, that cap hit rolling over into the next season. So the way to make it likely to be earned, let's say, you know, Jadavian Clowney had six sacks last year. I guess he probably had, I think he had zero last season, but let's say he had, <laughs> he had you know, five sacks last year. You would say you have an incentive for $500,000. If you have six sacks and you had five the year before, that would be not likely to be earned because it's more than he just did the year prior and therefore would not go on the salary cap. So the Browns could have that 500,000 not on their salary cap and then of course deal with it later. Or if it said, you know, if you have four or more sacks, then, you know, $500,000 and it would be on the cap because he, in this hypothetical, had five the year before. So there's all sorts of various tweaks and ways to get those incentives off the cap uh, and teams, teams are exploiting all of them. Is that is that strictly like a, a numbers game where if your incentive is something that they've hit previously in the last couple of years, then it's going to be likely, and if they haven't reached that level, then it's going to be not I mean, likely? I mean, my guess is that it's up to each front office, right? They get to determine what their risk tolerance is for that, right? Yeah, so it, it'll tie into, you know, first obviously the player, you know, and his representation – like they're not against necessarily not likely to be earned, but obviously if you know if it was Javon Clowney, it was 15 sacks. Like that incentive is worthless to him. Um, the big tr trick and tweak that we saw with Xavier Howard is what they what they did there and what is common. Uh, I think it happened with Aaron Rodgers as well. It, it did happen with Aaron Rodgers as well. Is they'll tie it to a team statistic as well. So for Xavier Howard, for example, he has an incentive where he has to hit 70% of snaps which he has done, I think he did last year. But also, the team has to improve in some statistical categories. So for Rodgers and Green Bay, it was like, we need to have more receiving 
and punt return touchdowns than we did last year. Plus, he needs to play X percent of snaps. It's, so like, like, it's like a parlay. <laughs> yep. So it gets all there's all sorts of wrinkles. And so and so, but what I'm hearing you say is that the team in the contract negotiation just gets to decide whether this is likely or not likely, assuming that the team and the player decide on this. There's not a, a neutral arbiter at the NFL office that decides whether it's likely to be earned or not. So the team could theoretically just kind of kick things down the road if they just say this is unlikely to be earned, even if it is relatively likely. Yeah, if, if the player signs off on it, then yeah, they can do that. And I think it's kind of like a, you know, you scratch our back, we'll scratch yours. So they'll the, t- the player will try to help them do it. Um, and like you said, they still it still might in reality be likely to be earned. Um, but not for cap reasons considered that way. And so that's kind of how they both went. That's fascinating. And that's yeah. w- the, the the little bit of information that I've always been missing is what the the rules there are. Um, I know that you've worked with over the cap in the past. I'm really, to, to the extent that you can tell us, how do outlets like over the cap get all of their contract details? Uh, some of these contracts they're they're not tweeted. Some of them are tweeted by the agent or tweeted by Adam Schefter. But there's a lot of guys in the league that don't have that kind of attention. How does how do those details kind of make it into the public discourse? Uh, if I told you, I'd have to kill you. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, yeah, the vast majority, I think, even the ones that don't um, get put out by media right away, we'll still kind of scour the interwebs and find it later on. Uh, so you know, we might not have it right away, but we will get it eventually. And then, you know, there are some some friendly people in this world. But for the most part, it's just, you know, um, making sure we're, we're tracking all those accounts, like you said. And, and sometimes, you know, an agent will put it out or, or whatever the case may be. Sometimes they'll talk about it in a report. Um, yeah, we're, we're looking near and far to find information for over the cap. But it's it's largely publicly available information that, like, I could find if I worked hard enough to find it. what i was looking for it it, it sounds sounds like it's a lot of uh relationships with with teams and agents and and uh prior working relationships that that make that happen which i appreciate um because i I love getting all that information um which which is great and i'm sure i mean it's great to have all that stuff in the public discourse because it's to the advantage of the agents as well as the teams to kind of have that information publicly available to then negotiate. Because is there like a, is there like a, a league server that has all this information that like teams can access or do they have to rely on publicly available information to kind of get so, their comps? So there actually is both a team uh, set up and an agency through the NFLPA has theirs as well. So okay. the NFL information system is, is a beautiful, beautiful thing. Um, I, I've been fortunate to lay my eyes on it like once or twice uh, and then the agency side as well, it's kind of just a list of all the deals and they're supposed to, you know, help agents say, Hey, here's like provide a frame of reference and sure. help you negotiate and help you figure out where my guy stacks up, whatever. But I'll tell you like clubs will tell us, Hey, this page on over the cap broke things down in a way that I'd never seen before and made me look at something differently or, or provided a different perspective that I had not considered before um, and, and influenced, you know, decision-making across the league, which is super cool to hear. That is awesome. That is awesome. All right. So those are like our nerdy questions we've been wondering about for years and years. So thank you for scratching that itch. Um, Let's shift to Browns a little bit. I mean, we're a Browns podcast. We've been Browns fans ever since we came out of the womb. And so we like, by nature, are optimistic about the Browns. And for the first time in our lifetimes, the Browns have like legitimate expectations placed upon them. And so... I mean, we think Andrew Barry's the best. We think Paul DePodesta is the best, that they're making smart decisions. Um, but we're not sitting on the outside looking in, looking at all 32 NFL teams like you are. I would love to get a very objective view on the current state of the Browns roster, how they've built this thing, and what the prospects are going forward um, from Brad Spielberger. Give me, give me the rundown. Yeah, so I, I promise I'm not pandering to the audience or, you know, just, just saying this because I'm on this podcast. You know, I think they are currently one of the best constructed rosters in the NFL. I think Andrew Berry is a, a phenomenal GM and will continue to show that going forward as he gets his imprints more and more on this roster. And, yes, the, 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 the you know, the analytics department through Paul DePodesta, but they've really beefed it up this, this offseason, added a lot of smart people. Um you know, looking at contracts, looking at, you know, on-field, you know, ways to find edges, you know, doing things on the field, all sorts of areas, sports science, 
anything you can think of, they are trying to find an edge in, and they're going to. They're, they're very smart. They're, their personnel department is bought in. They're one of the. They're one of the. I think the, they might be the only team in the NFL that actually grades film themselves as a club um, and tries to you know find these edges and do anything they can to um, you know to be, to be the best organization they can be. So from that perspective, if you do that, eventually you're going to turn over enough stones and, and find value. And then also just with you know with the roster right now, I thought they had a couple holes. Uh, you know, a second guy once Olivia Vernon went down, you know, I thought you had to address that spot. Clowney, yes, has some question marks, but I think a good addition. I love the Malik Jackson signing on the interior defensive line. Even a guy like Attack McKinley, probably not getting talked about a bunch, but former first-round talent just as a rotational edge rusher. That was kind of my biggest concern for them. And the secondary, obviously, get a lot of guys back healthy. I love Greg Newsom. I'm from Chicago. So watched him play at Northwestern for a couple years. He's a dog. He's going to be a fun player to watch right away. Uh, and I think the sky's the limit. I mean, one of the best offensive lines in the NFL, which makes anything possible. Yes, a lot rides on Baker for sure, and that situation will be interesting, and I'm sure we'll get into it. But I think they are set up well for the future, and they should have legitimate, you know, they should have legitimate expectations this season to win one or two or, or maybe three playoff games. All right, so the first comment you made there as a follow-up to this, was it like one of the most well-constructed rosters in the NFL. What factors go into that? Is that like their money's being spent in the right places that we've just got a lot of talent on our roster and we are not like in cap hell? Like what are the factors you're thinking through like, you know, off the bat for kind of grading a team's health um roster-wise? Yeah, so a little bit of all the above, but so a couple things you mentioned. So, yeah, a lot of rookie contract and draft talent so, you know, you've you drafted well, and I guess we don't know about this class, but I like what they did in the draft. So you have players that are providing solid surplus value because they're playing above their contracts. Obviously, always helps, you know, build out a roster, spend elsewhere. You have not broken the bank in free agency. You've been more meticulous and made some smart signings here and there. The John Johnson deal we mentioned at safety was a phenomenal deal. A lot of those little small deals, I, they don't get talked about a ton, but I mentioned Malik Jackson, Tag McKinley, just a lot of these little, you know, you know, minor things that, and even depth pieces, is just something that you can take for granted in this league. Uh, but they were able to do it without, like we said, you know, the Saints and the Eagles. They're not pushing a ton of money down the road. They pushed a little bit of money down the road. Uh, Andrew Barry is from Philadelphia. Uh, and like you mentioned, <laughs> they, they, they like to do that. So he's done a little bit of it, but has kept everything healthy, has been smart in his approach to negotiations. The Nick Chubb deal, we may get into a little bit as well. Yes, they paid a running back, which I think people associate PFF was saying you should never pay a running back, but the Chubb deal is a solid deal for, for all parties involved. He's a phenomenal player. You know, it's, it's better, you know, in an absolute sense, it's better than a lot of other deals at that position. So just, yeah, holistically, what they've done with this roster is not panic, not overspend, not, you know, trade away draft capital, anything like that. They've, they've been cool, calm, collected, and, and calculated in their approach. Is there any contract on the Browns, or I guess – do you have an opinion on the best and worst current contracts on this team? So excluding rookies, because it's not it's not exactly yeah. fair. But yeah. I mean, for, for veteran contracts, uh, I think Jack Conklin was a steal. I think they, whether they identified it or not, that right tackle market, as we've seen this offseason, has skyrocketed. Oh yeah. I mean, they signed him for three years, forty-two million, so fourteen mil per year, and we're now seeing guys, you know, Ryan Ramchick in New Orleans, nineteen point two million dollars per year and a bunch of deals in the 17 to $18 million range now. And one offseason prior, he's signing for 14 mil. Look, he had some injuries. He's a top, former top 10 pick. I mean, this guy's a very good player. You saw that right away. So that's one of the better deals, I think, right away, one of the better deals you know, across the league at this point. They don't really have a ton of bad deals. I mean, they don't have any huge deals. I guess a real quick shout out. Miles Garrett's deal is also phenomenal. I know that sounds crazy, $25 million per year, but the guy is an absolute phenom. Oh, and, it's, and that is a good deal. That yeah. will age well. TJ Watt might get $30 million a year you know, in the, in the near future. I mean, Miles so Garrett's deal point. looked like a steal a week later when Joey Bosa signed his. Exactly right. Exactly right. And it'll only start to look better or continue to look better. Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, as for the bad ones, there's not really a bad one, but I think they probably, I'll tell you this, if Odell Beckham doesn't tear his ACL last year, I'm less confident he's a week one starter for the Browns than than now that he, he will be now. I think if he wasn't hurt, he probably would have gotten moved or maybe even cut. Is that based on inside information? No, 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 no. <laughs> I, don't have any, I don't have any, and I wouldn't share it if I did. Uh, <laughs> but no, 
that's just based on that. There were reports and kind of some rumors, and the way the contract was set up is they could have made a clean exit um, yeah. absent an injury. They had a guarantee that was only guaranteed for injury. So if he was healthy, they could have cut him and had no dead money or you know not taken on any um, you know extra cap costs. But because he got hurt, they couldn't do that. And I think the trade market obviously you know was not going to be there anymore. And so I think that you know they didn't not want him. They just I think they would have explored moving on. Yeah, I mean, both he and Jarvis Landry are in an interesting spot in their contracts. They're relatively similar lengths of their deals, and there's almost no dead money for moving on from either one of them. I think after this next season, there's one year left on Jarvis's deal, and it's like a million and a half a dead cap, I think, if the Browns move on. And with the Browns having all these guys to sign, re-signing Chubb, the question has come up in Brown circles, like what moves is the front office going to make in order to clear some space? One of the things being talked about is would Jarvis Landry be a team player and restructure his contract going forward? I think he's owed $14, 15000000 million, something like that, for next season. But it's only a million and a half dead if we just drop him. So I think the question to me is if he's on the market and he's just in the open market, what kind of deal do you think a Jarvis Landry at age, I think, 29 would, would garner? I mean, what – I'm just trying to gauge what a restructure could potentially look like there. Yeah, that's a great question. Yeah, so he'll be 30, you know, it'll be his age 30 season in 2022. So, you know, that'll be what he, what he's facing. Like you said, none of that salary is guaranteed. So the Browns could get out of that deal with very little and, you know, cap penalties. I think that they there's a possibility that they look to extend him and say, like, we're offering you a modest extension that if you don't take, we'd probably just cut you. Like we might explore a trade and a team maybe makes that move, but he's a good player. He's a very reliable player. He's obviously going to get you, you know, your 100 receptions a year, but not a true, like, game-breaking difference maker. You know, not all – I'm not saying slot receivers aren't valuable and aren't important, but, you know, more replaceable, you know, things he brings to the table as opposed to, you know, some guys that dominate with physicality on the outside. I think you could you could – Look at the recent market. You know, he, he kind of set this this slot receiver market a little bit when he got the $15 million per year uh, following his move from Miami. I think you try to sell him on, you know, a three-year, like $40 million extension. It's about $13.33 million a year, a little bit less. Uh, because he's older, you kind of point to, like, you know, like Robert Woods got about $16 million per year last year. You know, Adam Thielen got $16 million per year a couple years ago now after Landry. And you say, look, this is kind of your, like, your twilight year deal. Still a solid contract. We'll, we'll give you good cash flows and all that. Um, but a slight pay cut from what you were playing on. Otherwise, the threat will be, look, otherwise we're going to cut you because we're not going to pay you $14.3 million in, in base salary. Um, you know, we'll just, we'll just sign somebody else to play slot receiver or draft somebody else or just figure it out. I think that is probably you know what'll happen there. Do you think that something in that thirteen million range is what he would get if he was on the open market? That's a good question. So I think it, obviously it always depends on who's available. But we've seen the last couple of years, both in free agency and the draft, you know, there's been kind of a flooded market. You know, with respect to wide receivers, there's a lot of talent there. Um, you can find good players there, and so. You know, it, it, so I'm not trying to avoid the question, but like I think it's possible. You never know. One team bites. I, I mean, even yeah. it only takes one team, right? And kind of gets credit for like turning around this culture and turning everything around in that building. Obviously, all the the famous hard knocks quotes and whatnot. Like, there's value in that for sure. But it can go the other way too. I, I mean, this off season was brutal on the wide receivers. Um, none of them really got deals they were looking for. Uh, so you know, I think it's possible. But I think if, for, if I was him. I would say, look, you know the building, you know the team. You get a, a deal that is still close to, if not, maybe I'm even overselling it. Um, you know, a very strong deal, in my opinion, w w w that number would be. Um, I think you probably sell him on that. And he says, well, you know, why test the market? Why not just take this and, and finish out my career in a place that I, you know, I feel like I, I had a big play, you know, big part in turning around. Yeah, the Texans recently haven't seen an undersized wide receiver that they don't love. So <laughs> <laughs> they'd probably be the team to offer him $13 million a year. Um, we've, we've seen in recent years, um, with the Conklin deal, the Hooper deal, John Johnson, Troy Hill, um, kind of some of these free, free agency contracts, the use of void years. Um, and this is not just the Browns. This is across the NFL. Um, can you explain like why that's a good idea? It kind of feels like a win now move that creates trouble down the line. Um, and, but you see teams who aren't necessarily in win now mode still use it. So like, 
what what are the upsides? What are the downsides? Is is that really a good idea if you don't have to? So yeah, another great question. And this is where Andrew Berry's Philadelphia Eagles teachings kind of come into play. Because like you said, they don't really they didn't really need to do it this time. They had a lot of cap space. Even if they are in a win now window, they still could have structured deals to where it was a bit more pay as you go as opposed to pushing cap down the line. So essentially the, the philosophy for every team has been look, the cap is gonna go up by, you know, 10, 15 million per year. Outside of this year, that's been the case, and, and that's the expectation every team has, um, you know, for, for good reason. Yeah. And so the thinking there is essentially just look like, yes, you do kind of create some trouble down the line by pushing this cap, these cap hits out, but the, the cap going up will more or less just absorb that as long as you don't go crazy with it and push, you know, ungodly amounts of money into the future to where you're taking up, you know, a big portion of your, your that year's salary cap. We've seen some teams with like 50 plus million dollars in dead money in a single year, and then you can't spend and can't fill out a roster. But you know, the Eagles before this, you know, before this offseason and other teams have said, look, if you have 20 million of that a year, that's okay because the cap's going to go up by 10 million, so half of it's gone. And then you can just kind of, you know, keep pushing things out and keep making things work. And it suggests you're competitive, right? You know, if the, even if the cap is $200 million, you can spend $250 million in cash, but make that all fit under the cap. It, it shows you're competing and you are attacking a window. And I think when you have a rookie, rookie contract quarterback, um, you have to do that. So it almost, I think, would be, I'm not saying you had to use void years, uh, but not pushing money down the line to add more talent when you have a number one overall pick quarterback who won a playoff game last year, who is making, you know, $8 million a year and might sign for $38, $40 million a year in the near future, you should spend around that because this is the window now. Yeah, that makes sense. All right. We're in this super fun, we mentioned it already, we're in the super fun window for the Browns where there's all these potential extensions and deals on the table. We've already seen one drop and, Personally, I, we talked about this on our podcast last week. I was surprised that Chubb was the first domino to fall. Um, I kind of expected some of the others to fall in line. I, I assume that his comfortability with taking a deal that wasn't exactly top of the market or resetting the market factored into that situation. But I would love to hear your detailed analysis of the Chubb deal, some of the flexibility it gives to the Browns going forward. Um, give me your overall thoughts on the Chubb deal. Yeah, so I agree with you that I think the reason why he got done first is twofold. First, yeah, I think he took, you know, below what, you know, a lot of us would have expected, you know, below market per se, and I'll get into that a little bit. So that obviously pushed it forward. And also just because, you know, with, with Baker Mayfield and Denzel Ward, because they had the fifth-year option because they're first-round picks, they are under contract for both this year and next year. So the, kind of there's more patience, you know, that Cleveland can have on, with those. Whereas Chubb, obviously, this is the last year of his contract. <clears throat> So that also kind of moves it along. But, yeah, so Chubb's deal came in below the big group of deals that came in last offseason. I'm talking about Derrick Henry, Dalvin Cook, Joe Mixon, three guys that were second-round picks just like Chubb, all actually taken later in the second round than Chubb, and they all signed for about $12.5 million per year. Um, you know, cash is more important. They all signed for around $40 million in, in three-year cash flow. Um and so Chubb came in below that. It was $12.2 million per year, and he gets you know, $36.6 million in three-year cash flow. The structure is strong, but you know, a lot of upfront money, uh, a $12 million signing bonus, or no, 50, excuse me, $15 million signing bonus, you know, big money there. Um, so the, you know, the cash flows for him are strong. He gets a lot of upfront money, and so they kind of both win there. But yeah, I mean, it's a shorter deal in that he could hit the market again you know, when he's 28 years old and get back and try to get another big contract. But it also is Cleveland protecting themselves, um, you know, essentially just giving the equivalent to two franchise tags, basically math, you know, working that out, crunching the numbers there, and then just saying, hey, look, we'll basically give you that, plus a little bit of cash on top of that, and kind of using that leverage against him. Um, and so, yeah, I think they both came to a deal they agreed on. Um, but yes, the, you know, the Chubb had to take less than maybe would have predicted coming into this offseason. I just think it's so fast. I mean, like, because that's what I expected them to do with Chubb is basically franchise him twice and then be willing to move on because it's what you should do with a running back. So it's fascinating to see that use this kind of the leverage to be like, all right, we can 
we can not have to use the franchise tag because the franchise tag is also an asset for a team. We can use the threat of the franchise tag to get you locked in at the same rate and then keep that kind of flexibility and use that asset later down the road. Um, of the remaining four kind of extension eligible players right now, I'm talking like Baker, Wyatt Teller, Denzel Ward, Ronnie Harrison. Uh, what would your priority be? And kind of what what's the order there of your priority? It's a great question. Um, you know, I think you obviously let them come to you and, and how those negotiations go will dictate that. But so Teller, you know, is an, again, another guy where because he was taken in the fifth round, you know, he, this is the last year of his deal. Hey, you mentioned Ronnie Harrison to the safety from Jacksonville. Forgot about him as well. well you know, a solid player. I would guess that Ronnie Harrison is probably not going to get an early extension. They've loaded up in the secondary. You know, you mentioned Troy Hill, John Johnson. They've obviously drafted, you know, Delpit. Um, you know, they have a lot of talent there, and, and, and I think they'll find a way to just let him play out that deal. So I probably wouldn't even entertain any early extension there unless he's willing to take a deal that, frankly, he shouldn't take. Um, I would look to Wyatt Teller first. I know you've spent we, – we talked about uh, Jack Conklin, but that is a great value deal at right tackle. Yes, you do have Joel Batonio as a pricey left guard, and at center, J.C. Treader is an expensive center. Both of those guys, though, I think either already over 30 or they are 30. And, you know, basically by the time Teller's money kicks in, I think both of those guys, if not one, will be off the books. And so that, that way you're looking, okay, we have a left tackle who's a draft pick, so, you know, a solid contract there. The right tackle is making good money, but now it's not even close to some of these top guys. And Teller probably will be one of the higher-paid guards in the NFL. But you get that deal done before a Quentin Nelson deal gets done. You kind of beat some deals to market. And so, like we talked about with Miles Garrett and so on and so forth, it'll age pretty well. You'll sign it, and then a couple of months or maybe a year later, a bunch of guys will surpass it. He's been a phenomenal player for them. I mean, he is he is a PFF darling, as we like to say. You know, he was our top guard in the NFL last year. It wasn't even close. Like, he was, he was dominant last season. And I think it's a smart investment. Just make that right side of your line just an absolute gauntlet. Uh, and then, yeah, then you turn to, you know, obviously the first rounders in Baker and Denzel Ward. You know, Ward's injuries make it interesting. You know, he has not been able to stay healthy for a full season. He is a phenomenal player. He is that true, you know, like alpha shutdown, you know, man-on-man corner where he needs to be. And you don't find a lot of those in the NFL. But even with all that he's dealt with injury-wise and everything, he's probably still asking for $20 million a year. Like, you know, I, we saw the tweet about the negotiations ongoing and whatnot. He's asking. He's got. He's got to be asking for close to Jalen Ramsey money. Ramsey money. And so it's like, if you're Cleveland, are you comfortable giving that out? You obviously spent a second round pick on Greedy Williams this year, a first round pick on Greg Newsome. Do you maybe consider, you know, letting it ride out and see, say, hey, have a good year, play full 15, 16, 17 games, uh, and, and then we'll revisit. Um, I probably would lean that way, even though I know he's a phenomenal player uh, and has shown a lot when he's played. And then Baker is a tough one. Baker's super interesting. The trend has been to get it done after the third year. I think they will. I still do think they will. I think there's been some in the next few weeks, you think? media and posturing, but I think it'll get done and it'll come in around forty million dollars a year. Interesting. I mean, that's a significant step below this Josh Allen deal that just hit the hit the wire in the last couple of days. Why? Why do you think it'll be closer to forty versus the forty-three or so that Josh Allen came in at? So I think one huge part of it is that Baker, I, I am predicting that he will stick to a four-year extension. The trend we've seen with, you know, Carson Wentz, Jared Goff, uh, Deshaun Watson, like all these these recent draft picks, you know, Dak Prescott as well, you know, that was a free agency deal, but is four years has kind of been the target for the quarterback because at quarterback, you just want to get back to the market as fast as possible because every offseason, you know the market's going to jump by a couple million dollars. Or even if the top doesn't go, all these middle-tier guys will boost it higher. And so you know it's always going to grow. So Baker is about a year and a half, I think, older than Josh Allen. I think what he'll say is, look, give me four-year extension instead of six like Allen, but I'll take 40 or $41 million per year. We'll keep the total value down, keep the you know per year down, but I'll hit the market you know, a year, two years earlier than Josh Allen, and that's kind of how I win this. And, and that's still kind of what I'm expecting at this point. Yes, the trend is the first guy that goes gets surpassed by the next guy. But I think when you have Josh Allen who's coming off a second-team All-Pro, you know, almost MVP season, Lamar Jackson won an MVP. I'm a Baker fan. I think he, he's a good player. But I think it's fair to assume that there are some question marks in that building of, 
you know, is this guy a little bit benefiting from this awesome Kevin Stefanski system and elite offensive line? You know, he's had, he's had his own challenges, yeah. too. They've never had the same offensive coach, you know, for two, for two years in a row. I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but I do think they have some questions there. And and the big linchpin, too, is Andrew Barry didn't draft him. So when the GM doesn't take the player, he's kind of tethered to that guy last. He less. was in the building, though. He was in the building. He was part of the decision. He was he was and working under John Dorsey the at the time. So he was there very much a part of the decision-making process. He left for the Eagles, you know, after that. But he was yeah, definitely there and made the decision. Or part was part of the decision-making process. But you, you talking about the four-year deal makes the Pat Mahomes extension 10 years just all the more confounding. 100%. What, 100%. what a deal for the Chiefs. And, I mean, Pat Mahomes would have enough, um, like, leverage if four years into this he says, hey, I want a new extension. Um, the, the Chiefs probably have to give it to him. But, jeez. If, if he actually plays out that 10-year deal, that's going to be a steal for the Chiefs in year 6 through 10, if it isn't already. 100%. It's the best, it's the best deal for a team in the NFL, um, probably by a decent margin. That's so crazy. Okay, so on the Baker piece, you said you expect it to happen. Or you think most likely it will happen um, sooner rather than later. What makes you say that you think it's going to happen here in the near term versus letting it play out, the the Browns letting it play out this season and, you know, seeing what they've got? Because there have been so many question marks, to your point. Different coaching staffs, all these sort of things. You Last half of last year was great, but the first half wasn't. It's just been a roller coaster, really. And so I, I, I feel like there's a large contingent of Browns fans that are like, let's just wait and see what, what we've got, and then we can sign him. If he earns his money, he earns his money. We might have to pay him a little bit more at the end of the season. But I'd rather not end up in a Carson Wentz or a Jared Goff situation by forking out $40 million today. 100%. And because of those two guys, this, this decision has been harder for the, the GM this offseason. But I still just – the reason I think it gets done is because, you know, the trend is set up for a reason. You want to, like you mentioned, you want to avoid having to pay more. You know, you look bad to your owner if you say, hey, I could have had him for 40 mil last year. What if Baker goes out makes the AFC Championship game, throws for 4,500 yards and 35 touchdowns? He's going to ask for $50 million a year. So it's like you have to – you have to kind of like there's that component to it as well. And also, I think Baker's a perfect guy where I don't think he, he would let it get to him or anything like that. But, you know, if there's the off chance that someone says, well, it's going to he's going to be thinking about it. And he's going to be looking over his shoulder. No, no one's going to like take his job. But like, you know, it's going to be on his mind as he plays and stuff like that. Yes, I get that it's crazy to say that should be why you should shell out, you know, a quarter of a billion dollars. Um, <laughs> but, you know, that's just kind of the reality situation. And I think the owner, too, like people underestimate how much has been invested in Baker Mayfield, not just in his football contract, but literally like every single day in that building. By the organization. All these things, sponsorship, marketing, all these things. Um, And and I just think there's so much, I don't want to use the term sunk cost because I don't like, it's no, he's not a sunk cost, but there's just so much invested in him already. Um, I think it's going to be hard to not just keep, keep going and just hope that, yeah, hope that the good flashes are, are more indicative of who he is and some of the negatives will get cleaned up in his game. All right. So this is a really, like, spicy question, playing off of that. We had we had this conversation last week, I think, on the podcast. I, what if Baker, like, falls on his face this year? We don't get a contract in the next couple weeks. He stumbles a little bit. Maybe, maybe not all the way on his face, but, you know, isn't playing to the same level that he played in the second half of last year. And there's questions about whether you want to commit, you know, significant dollars to him long term the and at the end of the season what quarterbacks are available number one Aaron Rodgers is going to be looking for a new team after this season and so you've got Baker on that fifth year option still um after this year what kind of I mean it's I know it's really early but like what kind of trade value would we be looking for if some to get Aaron Rodgers out of Green Bay like what do you think a deal like that is gonna end up looking like a year from now. Yeah, so I do think that you would still have a lot of value on Baker Mayfield. You know, he wouldn't have the extension done, which kind of in a weird way, like you mentioned Carson Wentz uh, and Jared. Well, I guess Jared Goff I mean, it was kind of a salary dump. But let's use Carson Wentz as an example. Like, he was as bad as he could possibly have been last year. And he's still got a third-round pick, and it looks like now it's going to be a second-round pick. It could have been a first-round pick. It Now it looks like it's just going to be a second. 
there was a condition based on his play time, but he obviously is already hurt. So we'll say a third and a second. That was as bad as he possibly could have been. So even if Baker has, you know, not a great year, but let's say not as bad as that, you're probably still going to get a second-round pick at least. And so, like, yeah, like right away you could say, okay, then we have a first. And look, if Baker stinks, you might only go, you know, eight and nine or whatever. It's a good division. You're, you know, you know, good team. You're you're, you're playing good teams because you you finished in a playoff spot last year. Like, you could have a, a mid mid first, uh, you know, two second-round picks, and then you could probably throw in. At that point, you know, maybe you throw in a Denzel Ward if you don't extend him also. Green Bay could maybe use a corner. Or are you you added maybe one more piece, and maybe you could land an Aaron Rodgers for the last, you know, two years of his deal, um, or two years of his career, I should say. Um, yeah, I think you're going to need at least one first. Um, if you can't get two in there, you maybe go first, couple seconds, and, and a, a player or two. Um, but, yeah, it's, it's definitely something to explore. I, I think Rodgers wants to go out west, but, hey, you got to try, right? Who, who doesn't want to come to Cleveland? Uh, <laughs> um, yeah, if I was Aaron Rodgers, I would much prefer going out west uh, somewhere than, than the, the Midwest where he's been stuck for a while. Um, and to be clear, before the Browns fans riot um, with me mentioning this, I don't think I'm cheering for that situation to happen. But it's a very interesting thought experiment to like go down. I was, I was last week on the the position that you can't even factor that in your decision-making. And Brad, I'd be interested to hear what you have to say about that. Like to what extent can you even like, if you're a team making this decision, how valuable is it knowing that, Oh, Aaron Rodgers might be available via trade to what, what you're doing? Like probably not very right. Cause it's so, there's so many unknown factors that like you can't, you can't not do something now because there's an off chance that you might maybe possibly could get Aaron Rodgers for two years. Yeah, I would. I definitely wouldn't let, let it preclude me from making moves now, but I would know it. And, and I'll tell you right now, Andrew Barry, he knows if Aaron Rodgers would accept the trade to Cleveland. Um, he knows the draft, how the draft looks. He knows all these things. Um, and like you said, it's not, it's not fact. It's not, going into his decision in a significant way, but it is a variable that he's considering um, and, and maybe analyzing, you know, the, the, the various, you know, possibilities and avenues. But yeah, I agree with you. You're not going to not extend Baker Mayfield because you think Spencer Rattler looks good. Like you're, you're still going to live in the moment and, and live in the present. That makes sense. That makes sense. All right. We'll let you go here in just a second. I am curious as you're looking at, from a cat perspective, what are some markers for us casual fans to look at for like continued success in cap decision making for the Browns to kind of stay on the right path? I I feel like we're about to get crunched with a lot of these contracts and stuff, and they're going to have to make some hard decisions and things. Um, and I don't think that the Browns fans are prepared for this situation. It's really what I'm getting at here because we've had oodles of cap room for the last handful of years. Thank you, Sashi Brown. Um, and we've just been feasting off of it. And Andrew Barry's been like maximizing the cap room as we talked about by adding void years and things like this. We're about to get crunched. Like, can you talk Browns fans through what these next couple years are likely to look like and what success might look like as we wade through these uncharted waters that we're not used to? hundred percent. And I, I mean this, um, this isn't like a mean spirited comment at all, but like, you're going to have to go through things that you're not used to going through. Like there's going to be off seasons where you have four or five free agents that you really want the team to retain, which I know has not been the case in Cleveland probably <laughs> since I've been alive. Like, and you're going to have to let those, some of those guys go. And it might, you might say, well, how can we do this? How, we, how can we play without this guy? That is what smart teams like the Ravens and the Patriots have been doing forever because you can't keep everyone. You can't pay everyone. You have to draft and develop at a certain point and keep, you know, a youthful roster and, and a cheaper roster at certain spots. Um, you know, and so it's also like there would be tough decisions. We're talking about Jarvis Landry. Like if you, it, I would bet you right now a decent chunk of money that one of Odell or Jarvis are not playing for the Browns in 2022. I'm fairly confident in, in that take. Um, like there's going to be tough calls you have to make, ultimately looking at the future and ultimately, think, especially if you extend Baker, that, that obviously is the, the, the variable that controls everything. But you have to understand that the tough decisions are often the smart decisions. And not only that, if you let a guy go and sign elsewhere, he might get you a compensatory pick, which is an extra draft pick. And then you have more draft capital uh, and all these things. So, yeah, I mean, 
I think the biggest takeaway, something I mentioned at the top of the show, is that a lot of GMs get lost in free agency. It's very hard to win in free agency. If you are signing some of the top of market deals, the odds you end up winning on that deal or getting surplus value on that deal are close to zero. But if you are waiting for the second and third wave of free agency and waiting for some guys to get cut and some you know smart veterans to move on from their clubs, that's how you can win free agency. I, you mentioned Troy Hill. I should have mentioned him as well. A phenomenal signing. I know I mentioned Malik Jackson already and, and Tech McKinley already, but all these moves where they're not sexy, they're not flashy, but it's one year and $4 million, one year $5 million deals. That's how you supplement a roster that is built around your draft picks, your players. Um, and, yeah, you shouldn't not spend at all. I'm not saying that you shouldn't not retain guys. not saying that at all. But you're going to have to make tough decisions. Um, and, and you know, like Ronnie Harrison is a good example. He's a solid safety. They, they can't pay Ronnie Harrison. Like, that's just not unless I mean, unless he has a phenomenal season. Uh, and then that, and then, and then you're probably looking to you know trade a Grant Delpit or, or make some other move. Like every every you know every move has an opportunity cost. Um, and so you have to understand that you know pretty much at all times. Yeah, I think it's going to be fascinating to see us kind of pivot into the model that kind of the Ravens and the Patriots have been operating on, on, on getting those comp picks, letting letting veterans go, not operating at the top of the free agency market um, where we've been for so long because we've just needed players <laughs> for so long. We couldn't afford to uh, to not re-sign our players and not replace them with anybody else. So now, now this roster, because we've built through the draft so well in the past couple of years, we're getting to the point where we can develop – our own talent and kind of let some of those top level guys go as they become more expensive. So that's going to be fascinating and a painful lesson for a lot of people who uh, aren't necessarily used to that um, to, to learn. All right. Non-football question before we let you go, you spent college years here in Nashville at Vanderbilt. What's your go-to restaurant, music venue, whatever it is, what's your go-to Next time you come to Nashville, where's the one spot you're making sure you hit? And why is it Satco? That's a good answer. Um, this is the easiest question I've ever been asked in my entire life. Um, I'm telling you right now, it is, in my opinion, the best bang-for-your-buck restaurant in the world. I haven't, I'm not that well-traveled, but take my, take my word for it. Arnold's Country Kitchen. A little oh, yeah. When I come to Nashville, I make sure I'm either flying in on a Friday before 2 p.m., or I'm flying out on a Monday after about noon because I refuse to come and not go to Arnold's. It is the best meal you can possibly get, and I do not come to Nashville without getting it. For those that haven't been there, it's a meet and three. You grab your tray like you're in the cafeteria, and you go on down and you tell them exactly what you want, and it is delicious. It is so good. Very good suggestion by Mr. Spielberger. All right. Tell everybody, I told them at the top of the show, if they weren't following you on Twitter to make sure to do so, but where can they read your content? Where can they follow all the good work that you are doing? Make sure all our listeners get, get that info. For sure. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at PFF underscore Brad, obviously putting out content on profootballfocus.com. Uh, and yeah, and, t- and talking salary cap contracts and also just, you know, talking ball, um, I, I do, t- you know, if this is any, you know, an incentive, I do talk about the Browns a lot. I am a fan of Andrew Barry and, and their front office and a lot of the things they do. Uh, and I think they're going to be creative in things they do going forward. So I'm sure I'll be talking about the Browns a lot. Um, so yeah, that's where you can find my work. Awesome. This was super fun. Uh, thanks for taking the time. It was really kind of you um, to join us. Appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me. It was awesome. See you, ma'am. All right. I have to say, as an attorney, kind of a nerd for the details. I feel like Brad might have one of the coolest jobs. It's pretty sweet. The coolest job in sports media sphere. There's there's probably easier jobs that yeah. pay better. Yeah. But as far as just like getting into the details and kind of like nerding out and doing that. Yeah. And he's good at it, too. I mean, seriously, follow him on Twitter if you want to know the ins and outs of how these contracts work. I mean, he's been um, recording those deals for Over the Cap for years, and he just does a great job of anal- like quick top-line analysis of all of them coming through. 
Um, and even just to hear some of the other PFF guys talk about how much knowledge he's brought to their team in general as it relates to the cap and all the comings and goings and how it relates to all other decisions being made across the NFL. Um, it helps you realize um, he's a smart guy. He's, he is. He's, he's very smart, and it's great to have guys like him um, be involved more in the mainstream kind of discourse because for so long the, the cap and the cap ramifications get lost in all of the kind of talk radio or even podcasting sphere. I think it's my favorite thing to talk yeah. about. I love oh, the yeah. like levers to pull, like the different ways you can structure things, what outs teams have. Like having that conversation is as fun to me as anything when it comes to NFL football. Yeah. No, for sure. It's the reason why you have seventeen thousand best ball teams right now. You're more okay. interested in constructing Roster the team. Construction. Than, yes. <laughs> That's exactly yes. correct. And we we will not go on record on how many best ball teams you have. Uh, because I've been it's told to mystery. keep that silent. It's a big mystery. So I hope y'all enjoy that. Uh, we had a great time. Um, we're really looking forward to to the Brown season. We've got the first preseason game coming up this Saturday against the Jacksonville Jaguars, the I, fight in Urban Myers. It's where I used to live. I, I woke up this morning and I thought for like a grand total of 10 minutes, what would it look like to get a flight down to Jacksonville for the weekend? And then I remembered that COVID's going crazy in Florida. And I was like, yeah, maybe I won't. Do yeah, that. maybe not. Maybe not. <laughs> maybe I won't. Do I mean, honestly, that's my, like, I just hope we can get in and out of there and not, not have any issues. Um, it sounds like we're, we're 90 plus percent vaccinated, which is good to hear. Um, We've had a couple players recently miss one day of camp with illness, which you and I texted this week, contemplating that maybe that was uh, vaccine side effects the day after, um, which wouldn't, would, surprise, would, me at wouldn't all. surprise me at all and would be an encouraging sign. So um, I hope, hope that we get in and out of Florida without catching anything and not being injured, knock on wood. But it's going to be fun to see the team on the field on Saturday. Um, and on TV. I will we can actually, all watch it. I will actually be camping. Yeah, I will, I will be, be in the wilderness at that point, which will be disappointing. Um, but I will catch the replay if NFL Game Pass allows me to. So we'll see about that. Um, we'll, we'll record it at Mom and Dad's. And you can... Oh, yeah, I'll have to come over here. Yeah, perfect. Be all right. Perfect. So we'll come back with you next or come back to you next week uh, after the first preseason game. Hopefully, talk about a lot of second and third teamer performances i'm hoping to not see any first teamers play in this game as much as i would love to see nick chubb run the football that would be the last thing i want to actually see we'll be just fine so thanks for listening as always we appreciate it uh you can find us on twitter at sin of our fathers you can email us sin of our fathers at gmail.com um let us know if you have any thoughts we appreciate y'all go browns go browns Thank you.